This COVID-19 pandemic has really not been easy for anybody. We've all slowed down. Some research has been completely halted, but the problems scientists are trying to solve, those haven't stopped. The past decade, the citrus industry has been trying to manage its own devastating disease known as Huanglongbing or citrus greening. Huanglongbing is Chinese for yellow dragon disease and is sometimes referred to by just three letters, H-L-B. H-L-B is the most destructive citrus disease in the world. Over a 15-year period, there was a 60% reduction in the amount of fruit. There's been so little fruit produced that a number of packing plants have uh, closed, and so obviously that has a huge impact for those communities as well. The disease is quite complex. It's caused by a bacteria called Candidatus liberibacter asiaticus, also known as CLAS. We label bacteria with the term candidatus when we cannot grow them on auger plates. This adds new challenges for researchers because they cannot grow the bacteria in the lab and like many plant pathogens, is transmitted by insects during feeding events. Disease progression can be slow, but eventually the trees will die. Symptoms can be dynamic and quite complex. I'll let Jennifer Lewis explain. As opposed to a nutrient deficiency where you would have even discoloration of the leaf, you actually see different patterns of leaf discoloration across the mid-vein of the leaf. They have this discoloration, so they typically don't color normally, so the bottom part is green. They are often small, they are unevenly round, and they don't taste good. They have a bitter flavor. And that's because the sugar content and amino acid content of the juice is affected as well. Currently, the only thing citrus growers can do to protect their crops from HLB is control the insect vector. Dozens of researchers are trying to find ways to manage the disease, using strategies ranging from pesticides to antibiotics to sea-last-sniffing dogs. But the orange industry is not the only fruit impacted by this disease. So these bacteria cause disease in a number of citrus species, orange, grapefruit, tangerine, etc. Today, we will be talking to Jennifer Lewis about her comparative genomics approach to finding new ways to fight HLB and saving our citrus industry. I'm a principal investigator at the Plant Gene Expression Center and an adjunct associate professor at the University of California, Berkeley. My background is in viral pathogens as well as bacterial pathogens. I'm Testiette one of the hosts and producers of the MPMI Microgreens podcast. We aim to tell stories of plants, microbes, and the people who study them. Jennifer gave a talk over the summer at What's New at MPMI, where she discussed this comparative genomics approach to managing uncultural diseases like HLB. I had the pleasure of talking with her afterwards. I hope you will join me as we dive deep into this method and her findings on managing HLB. So let's recap for a moment. One, CLAS is unculturable, which begs the question, how can you find the molecular mechanism of pathogenesis when you cannot culture the bacterium? Two, it is insect vectored and resides in the phloem of the plant, so it can spread quickly through an orchard. And three, it is a pathogen of slow-growing woody perennial plants. These are the three major factors of the disease biology that makes this pathosystem so complex. In order to save the citrus industry, scientists need to find new and innovative ways to learn not only what CLAS is doing in the plant, but also how it is doing it. 
Let's see how Dr. Jennifer Lewis leverages our current knowledge in genetics and bioinformatics to discover new potential methods to help stop this disease. But first, we need to understand a little bit about the plant immune system. PTI, it stands for pattern triggered immunity. And this is the basal level of immunity that most plants have against most pathogens. Plants can recognize conserved structures that are part of different bacteria or fungi or viruses. And when that happens, they mount this basal immune response and that helps protect them against infection. So we thought that this concept of small molecules, peptides that derive from the pathogen that could result in immunity could be a really interesting way to tackle this problem of citrus greening because it does not require culturing the pathogen. So we decided to try to see if we could identify putative PAMPs or MAMPs from Candidatus liberibacter species that would elicit PAMP-triggered immunity in citrus. But how can we look at the genome of something we can't culture? So to do that, we decided to take a comparative genomics approach to identify these PAMPs. Comparative genomics has really come about because of the revolution in sequencing technology and genomic information that we have. Got it. So to get around culturing the microbe, scientists can sequence the DNA and study its genome. By comparing genomes to other genomes previously studied, Jennifer and her team can learn a lot about CLAS without ever growing it in the lab. But even a microbial genome contains millions of pieces of DNA. Genomes cannot be compared with the naked eye. Instead, scientists turn to computers to help them decipher the DNA code and compare between species. This is the interdisciplinary field of bioinformatics. We decided to take this kind of bioinformatic approach because it didn't require working with the bacteria. We could use that genomic information to inform the the strategy and try to figure out if there is a way to protect plants against disease. So Claire Bendix, as a postdoc in my lab, looked at the genomes of different Liberibacter strains that were available at the time. And this included three different Liberibacter strains that infected the citrus. And so she looked at the genes in these genomes to extract the core genome of these strains. And so the kind of general criteria we used is that they should be under negative selection and have signatures of positive selection. They should be specific to citrus-induced infecting strains. They should be potentially absent from strains that infected the Solanaceae, and they should be absent from non-pathogenic strains. Although we also included FLAG-G as a candidate peptide because it's part of the flagella, and flagellin, as we know, is a very strong inducer of pattern-triggered immunity. Using this criteria and comparative genomics approach, Jennifer's team found 13 different potential genes. It was now time to test these for their ability to elicit the immune system. But first, they had to find something they could measure that would tell them whether or not the protein was actually activating the immune system. For this, they turned to the plant defense mechanism known as ROS. ROS stands for reactive oxygen species. 
But in the context of immunity, ROS is important for helping to protect the plant against infection, and it is involved in causing cell death. When the plant kills off the part of itself where the bacteria is, then most of the plant can't get infected. So it's really a fundamental part of the plant's immune response. They used a model system as a proxy for citrus plants. So we started off testing in Arabidopsis and Nicotiana benthamiana. So we treated the leaves of these plants with the candidate peptides, and then we used this colorimetric assay that measures apoplastic peroxidases and produces a substrate that can be measured in a spectrophotometer. But we also wanted to look at the time course of reactive oxygen species. And so for that, we use the luminol assay, which is commonly used to measure the production of reactive oxygen species. So using these two assays, the peroxidase assay and the luminol assay, we found that PKSG could elicit similar levels of ROS production as FLAG22, and that high peptide concentrations are not sufficient to induce reactive oxygen species. So after validating that these work in the model system of Arabidopsis, The next big question is, will they elicit an immune response inside the host of interest? We decided to test a wide variety of different citrus species, and these were selected based on reports of either susceptibility or tolerance to HLB. Mexican key lime, Australian finger lime, and Eureka lemon have been reported to be HLB tolerant. Clementine mandarin, Mineola tangelo, Rio red grapefruit, and Valencia sweet orange are thought to be HLB susceptible. Kumquat, Kizu mandarin, and mandarin quat, there have been mixed reports. So in some cases, they have been tolerant, and in others, they have been susceptible. So we decided we would test all of these species for their ability to produce reactive oxygen species. Kumquat and Australian finger lime, which are mixed and tolerant varieties. We saw high levels of reactive oxygen species production in response to FLAG22. And Mineola tangelo, by contrast, a susceptible variety. We had basically had no responses were similar to the water control. So then we went on to test PKSG in Australian finger lime, Eureka lemon, and kumquat. The first two of which belonged to the tolerant group, while the last, kumquat, had mixed reports. We saw high levels of ROS production that were comparable to that seen with FLAG22, and this indicated that PKSG could trigger ROS production in these different species, and it was similar to the response by FLAG22. And so from these data, it was quite clear that FLAG22 and PKSG were inducing similar amounts of ROS in Australian fingerline tolerant varieties, and that there was no ROS production in Mineola tangelo, susceptible variety. We looked at different marker genes that are associated with pattern-triggered immunity in plants, and we did this using quantitative RT-PCR. So they looked at two different marker genes of citrus, PR1 and WERKI22. Both have previously been shown to be triggered in the presence of a pathogen. So what did they find? PKSG did not have any effect on PR1 expression. So we then turned to WERKI22 expression, And here we actually see that WERKI22 is induced in both like 22 application as well as PKSG application. So this is consistent with what we saw with the ROS production that it looks like PTI marker genes are actually induced by PKSG, although the the pathways seem to be different between FLAG22 and PKSG. Okay, so the peptides are eliciting an immune response, at least in our tolerant varieties, that is. 
But what are the peptides doing to the pathogen population? Do they help deplete the population of the pathogen inside the plant? To answer this question, Jennifer Lewis and her team conducted an experiment. But because the bacteria that causes HLB is quarantined species in California, they had to turn to another system. For this, they looked at the model plant Arabidopsis and the bacterial pathogen Pseudomonas syringae to see how the peptides might alter the pathogen population. And so here we pre-treat the plants with either FLAG22 or PKSG. And then we carry out a bacterial growth assay using Pseudomonas syringae and Arabidopsis. And so the bacteria and the peptides are both pressure infiltrated, but at different time points. When you pre-treat with FLAG22 in either water, the basic buffer, or PKSG in the basic buffer, we saw about a half a log to a one log reduction in bacterial growth. For PKSG, we're actually seeing an effect on PTI and Arabidopsis, Nicotiana benthamiana, and citrus, which are all found in very divergent plant families. And so this indicates that PTI is induced in response to PKSG, and it validates that PKSG is a real PAMP. So we think that this might be a way to help protect citrus plants from infections. So by applying these peptides, we might be able to help boost plant immunity. And this could be another tool to help growers to actually save some of their production from citrus greening. These are very exciting findings, but they still have not tested these peptides in citrus trees affected by HLB. In California, the bacteria is a quarantine species to help curb the spread of the disease. However, in Florida, because the disease is already everywhere, it's not under quarantine. Researchers are more free to conduct these experiments. This is where the power of collaboration comes into play. And so we are collaborating with Dr. Bill Dawson at the University of Florida to carry out field testing of peptides in sweet orange. And so Bill has developed a viral delivery system using Citrus tristeza virus. So this system allows us to deliver peptides to the phloem. And this is important because citrus tristeza virus is also a phloem-restricted plant virus. So this would be delivering the peptides to the place where the pathogen is present. I asked Jennifer Lewis to quickly summarize the overall research to help connect any loose ends. Yeah, so we used uh, this comparative genomic approach to identify peptides, which are small parts of proteins that were able to uh, boost the immune system of citrus. And so we think that this type of approach might be a way to help protect citrus against disease by HLB. That could be another technique to kind of protect the fruit production and the trees from the really devastating crops that have been seen in Florida. Thank you so much for speaking with me today about all these different topics. Oh, well, thank you for the opportunity. I had a lot of fun. It was really enjoyable. Yeah, it was fun. If you still are a little confused, don't worry. We took an hour-long seminar which ends up being years of expert research, and boiled it down to a less than 20-minute podcast. But if you are still looking for more detailed information, please check out her webinar in the What's New at MPMI webinar series. Thanks for listening to the Microgreens podcast from MPMI. You can find past and future episodes on Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. I hope you will join us for our next episode, which if you don't want to miss Hit subscribe or follow on your podcast app. Also, feel free to connect with us on Twitter at MPMI Microgreens 
or you can find me on my other podcast, The Micro Moment. I'd like to thank Jennifer Lewis for all of her time in the making of this podcast, as well as Blue Dot Sessions for the music. The Microgreens logo was created by Celeste Hahn. I'd also like to thank Raka Mitra, Jean Harris, and Ashley Carlin for giving me the opportunity to share the story with you.